Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Hello. Um, welcome to... Wait, what did we choose the name again? <laughs> I forgot already. The Connection. The Connection. Welcome to The Connection. Named uh, by Dave Glass because by... <laughs> because apparently we can't think of the name. Well, you know, names are really hard to come up with. Okay. Well, and it's not like, it's not weird. It's just simple. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Andrew. Let's let's start this puppy. Um, welcome to The Connection, hosted by Andrew Boreen, Alexis DeLuna. Well, say hi when I say your name. Hi. Uh, Jason O'Brien Keister. Hey, what's up? I know your middle name. You did, and you you knew that really quick. Like, I figured that out like I don't know a year ago. That's impressive. You but know I, what I the O means? It. Yeah. Whenever I think of your name, I just think of your full name. Do you have any other names in between there? No. 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 My parents didn't love me enough to have like an actual <laughs> middle name, so it's just yeah, it's a last name, it's two O'Brien. last names. Yep. Is O'Brien one name or is it two little names? It's two middle names. Jason well, it's O apostrophe by you know what? Just forget about my bill. I don't. Today's today's interview is well. We're gonna get to know uh, Dave Glass. Hello, hi Dave. Um, welcome to our podcast. How how are you thinking? How <laughs> how is it shaping up to you? The podcast. How how does it look? Do you do you like the way our setup here that none of the people can see? Looks like a pretty clean setup. Um, I think you have everything set up in a kind of a comfortable way and we're good to go. Yeah, I agree. So, um, our real objective for this podcast is to be able to get to know people within Lane County and within the church, uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like current present day? I am retired. So I'm doing grandparenting and excelling. Excelling like, like grandparenting. Oh, I thought it was, you meant like the software. <laughs> like, is it? Microsoft. We're gonna make excelling a, a verb now. Microsoft Excel. <laughs> I don't I'm, think you're ever gonna make Excel that cool. I'm notebooking. I'm. What are the other ones? I don't, I don't know, but wait. There's like ex Microsoft Excel. Oh, like, I'm wording. Wording. Yeah, it, it's that's never gonna catch on. So you're in the fifth ward. Correct? That's that's correct. So. How long have you been in Fifth Ward? Hmm, uh, maybe about 16 years. 16. And you've lived in the same place the entire time? Or? That's right. So, like, what area is that? Is, like, is it a nice house? It, it's, a, it's a nice house, five-bedroom, which we needed at the time we bought it for all of our kids who are now all grown and have kids of their own. So, But now it's just, like, extra living space now? Extra living space the and grandkids. whatever my wife wants it to be. Yeah. That's cool. So, do you like have a nifty backyard? Like, <laughs> do you have like big, like a lot of land? No, it's a smaller um, backyard. Okay. Just like just barely enough the room for the the dog to run in. Hmm. So, that's cool. All right. Well, I want to ask you some questions about you. Let's see what we have here. Actually, Lexi, do you want to lead this part? Lead this part. Yeah. Okay. Well. Co-hosting. Yeah. I think one of the main things is um, your past career. What did you do before you retired? Uh, I was with the Oregon State Police for 25 years. 25 years. Did you do anything besides that? Yeah, before that, I was in the Army. 
was a uh, uh, infantry sniper and did some work overseas. And uh, before that, I was on my mission and uh, went to California Anaheim Mission. It's a brutal mission. Anaheim? <laughs> yeah. It, that was okay, what do, what do you mean by brutal? Like, I have to, I have to know. There's a story there. Or... Was it actually brutal or is it just... No, it was... It was cake. I mean, every mission has its challenges, but it was in terms of some people go to countries where they don't get fed well or they have uh, poor living conditions. And uh, Anaheim, California had all of the niceties of life and the civilian world. And we got fed sometimes lunch, sometimes dinner appointments. Um, we had warm weather. So, but, but it had its trade-offs just like every mission does. Did you get super tan? Uh, only in the appropriate areas. Couldn't wear, you well, know. I mean, yeah. Farmer's tan? But you had, you had the farmer's tan with like short sleeve shirt. Farmer's tan. And okay. you couldn't go to the beach unless it was a designated uh, stake or ward activity. You had to get permission. The the beach was well, I mean, strictly beach, forbidden. Beach is dangerous. Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said, so you said you were a military sniper? Right. right. So did you... When you joined the military, did you enlist or did you do an ROTC program? Or I did. I, well, I, I did a little bit of both. I, I enlisted uh, right after high school in the reserves. And uh, that allowed me to uh, get some college money, do some different things, and stay local uh, while working in the reserves part-time. And then when I turned 20, I'd finished, I'd finished a three-year enlistment. I went on my mission. And then when I got back from my mission... That's when I went active duty in the military. So what's that like? I've I've looked into it a bit, like the whole, like, actually I've done a lot of research on the Marine Corps because we have a lot of family that's in the Marines. Um, but like sniper training, it's tough stuff. Yeah, I mean, the Marines have that. They're, they have a pretty well-known sniper school. Where... Obviously, the Army has special forces and... Uh, lots of uh, specialty type groups. Every military organization has something like that. So it really just depends on what your focus is and what you want to do. And there's something for everybody. So when you come into your training, do you already kind of know what you want to specialize in? Or is that something you kind of get a feel for later? Or I always had kind of an idea what I wanted to do. I grew up, you know, as a kid, I had firearms at a young age and my parents kind of kicked me out of the house and I'm out in the woods doing what I want to do. And and uh, they kind of left me alone. So I used to hunt and and uh, go hiking and camping, kind of by myself and with friends. And uh, so I, I knew I liked that. And then um, I had an older brother that was 25 years older than me. And uh, he was actually a Green Beret during the Vietnam era. So and he was a martial artist. And so he constantly taught me things and took me out shooting. And uh, so that just piqued my interest. That's so cool. I'm I'm just like curious as a follow up to that. Like, you go on a mission, and it sounds like you're like <clears throat> going into active duty pretty quickly after. Like, did your mission like change your mindset at all? As far as like, hey, I have a better idea of what I want to do with my life now, or or no? I mean, never. I guess I was a little bit of an odd kid. Ever since I was young, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, and I had a series of ideas that I wanted and i kind of always work towards those and there's been variations and minor changes but for the most part it's been kind of exactly as i thought it would be 
If the military hadn't worked out for you, what would have your like backup plan been? Well, I mean, I ended up leaving the military. So when I was in Korea, um, I was doing a uh, part of a sniper mission could be an overwatch for dignitaries. And we had the vice president come in and the Secret Service was there and, uh, and they had their sniper teams. So I ended up talking to them and spending two or three days with them and uh, kind of picking the brain about what they do and what their duties like. And then I compared it to mine. I looked at the pay. I looked at, I'd been gone from that point and hadn't seen him in that time. And my daughter was a month old when I left. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't see her for that whole year. And I looked at what future I had and what the family, the importance of the family and what that was already doing to my family being gone that long and then what the projection was if I stayed in the military. So talking to the Secret Service guys, uh, their duty was really good. They were gone for shorter periods of time. They got paid much better and they're doing the same thing for the most part. And I thought, all right, when my enlistment's up, I'm out and I'm going to go do uh, police or something like that. Yeah, you didn't go to Secret Service. You went to state police? Police. And uh, you Sorry. Can you tell me a little more just about like the impact that did have on your family when you were um, in the military, active duty? Just uh, it sounds like it was like quite a bit to juggle for for family at home and everything. Yeah, I mean it's different for everybody. Um, some people are raised with that. Uh, there's army brats, and and my nephew, his wife was raised as an army brat, so he had a career in the military, and that wasn't as big of an issue. Um, so there's expectations that need to be met, but uh, some tours are hardship tours, which means your family just doesn't go. So you could be stuck in some duty assignment in a crappy part of the world, and that's where you're there. You're going to be there, and you may be able to get a few weeks off to go see your family somewhere in the middle of that, but otherwise you're away for that period of time. So you're missing all those formative years of raising children and uh, just the things that normally go on in married life, right? So it's uh, not ideal. Yeah. Yeah, my grandpa did this, like, he was Marine Corps. Um, he was a pilot for, like, 20 years or something mm -hmm. like that. And he was gone for a bunch of my parents' like time, like, growing up. But, like, he definitely, like, made that switch, too, to be there. Um, around when my parents were, like, starting to become teenagers, yeah, I think I, I get that a bit. So, I had, oh, sorry. Well, okay. About your family, how many kids do you have? Uh, four kids, seven grandkids. Cool. Son. Cool. Andrew, what you were gonna say? Well, I was gonna ask you. So, like, in Korea, was it like an active duty tour, or was it like a stationed in Korea? That's correct. I was originally assigned to Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, I was there for a couple of years, and that that's not bad. Be although about every other month, I was gone for the month. Uh, I would go out in the field for a month, come home for about a month. So you're gone still quite a bit, even when you're stateside. Um, and then uh, I got assigned to Korea for the last 14 months. What year was that? Oh boy. 89 maybe. So it wasn't like active warfare. It was like- There was no, 9-11 had not happened yet. Yeah. So. So it was a lot of like, um, my grandpa did the same thing. He went to Japan a lot. Right. Uh, just on, tour just stationed in other countries yeah there was no active war going on and it was more uh what you would call peacetime military obviously you're still training for war and there are still some assignments where where i was at at the joint security area was right up in the demilitarized zone 
so we had actual missions where we would go and set up ambushes we would do patrols we would uh in case north korea sent uh troops across the demarcation line Mm -hmm. so there was a real mission but uh for much of the military that during that period of time there was no mission uh combat mission yeah i want to i want to keep talking about korea for a bit so when you were there uh base life were you able to just go off and like interact it it was fairly strict. We work at it was you had to be selected. Go to the uh, the JSA Joint Security Area. Uh, when you came into country, you had to go through a selection process. Uh, they asked you you had to volunteer for the unit. You went up there. They you had a week long uh, kind of a selection process you went through, and then a very rare kind of a situation is the members of the platoon that you would be assigned to actually voted on whether you would stay or not after spending a week with you and seeing how you work. So the mission would be 12 days. You'd have three days um, uh, training, three days uh, active patrol where you would be out in the demilitarized zone, three days on kind of a guard duty up at the tower or at uh, the line. And maybe you've seen pictures of this between North and South Korea where the, the peace talks used to be. You yeah. would be up on the line facing the North Korean soldiers and then you would have three days off. No, three days of a quick reaction force and then you're off for three days. That's just crazy to me. That was four years ago. That was when they did the peace talks with Korea. It's a long time ago. Like it feels like that was just like yesterday, though. Yeah, but our mission there was simply to uh, to have a presence, and then also we had various uh, contingencies if there was a defector, uh, which we had a Chinese major and his wife come across. We had different people defect from North Korea to South Korea, and we had to provide protection for them get them out of the area quickly and then provide an armed response if uh, there was an incursion by North Korea. Yeah. There's all those just like crazy like horror stories about people like running out of North Korea, but honestly, okay, I don't want to really go there. That's kind of depressing. <laughs> Let's go to something interesting. So, um, can I bring up one? Okay, so on here, you talked about a dog attack on your mission. Care to elaborate? <laughs> Yeah, that that was uh, you know a, a pretty significant uh, event for me, and uh, I think people have lots of protection on their mission that they may not recognize as protection, but this was an overt incident of protection um, where my companion and I were out tracking, and that's what you did back then. Uh, there was a, a three foot high wooden fence, and you could see. Uh, individual's house. You could see a man in his garage and the garage set back from the house, uh, maybe 30 yards. It was kind of deep into the property. Garage door was open. He was tinkering. So we're going to knock on the door and go in. Uh, We go inside the fence and there was no beware dog signs or anything to indicate that we needed to watch for dogs. I just made it through the fence. My companion's getting ready to walk in behind me and two pit bulls, um, come charging out of the garage and it was very clear that they were going to attack me their their ears were back they were running at full force you could see their muscles just rippling as they were charging towards me and then you had the homeowner yelling they're going to kill you so those are all things we would call clues (laughs) that maybe you want to leave just a hunch (laughs) but but i've never been overly bright and uh my companion immediately just got out but at that very moment when I considered, am I going to run? What am I going to do? I had this, uh, this warmth kind of just uh, flow over me from my head to my toes. 
and I felt complete peace. And it was a, like a voice said to me, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. You don't need to run. So I didn't. And I had no fear at that point. And the first dog <clears throat> launched in the air and I lifted my arm, my left arm, and it just, the, its head just kind of grazed underneath my left arm and it hit the ground. The, the, the second dog ran and grabbed my right leg. Then the first dog ran around and grabbed my left leg. So there I had a pit bull on each leg. And I looked down, I could see their jaws flexing and they were grinding and they were trying to rip at my legs. And I really felt almost like, like somebody was just barely touching my calves. That's all, I felt. That's all I ever felt. And they were trying as hard as they could to tear up my legs. So I'm, I'm walking over to this guy that owns these dogs and he's screaming, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. And I'm, I'm like, no, I'm fine. And he grabbed his dogs, pulled them off my leg. And there was uh, not even a slobber mark on my So never any kind of damage whatsoever. It's crazy. Uh, that's really neat. I I just wonder like following that experience, like I, by the way, how far are you in your mission at that point? Uh, you know, I think I was a zone leader at that point. So maybe a year or something okay. like that. I'm just wondering what your mission is like after that. Like, it seems like that was a pretty big watershed moment where you had this cool spiritual experience. I'm just wondering like, looking back in retrospect, the impact that had down the road, you know? It, it did have impact, and there had been other things like that. But I think the biggest impact was that I recognized that when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there's a certain amount of power, and there's a certain amount of protection. Amen to that. Uh, Amen. It doesn't yeah. mean you're always going to have that, but when you have the Spirit with you, and the Spirit dictates and tells you something, whatever happens is the best result. I'm also, that's super cool story. I'm also wondering if that's one when you call home, if you're like, I'll just omit that detail for mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, did not get attacked by dogs. <laughs> anytime I was held at gunpoint or a knife, I, I, that didn't, that story didn't make it home. Is that in Mexico? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I was in Juarez, Mexico, so come on. Yeah. Should I be concerned about Brandon? <laughs> Brandon's going to Maine. Brandon's going to like a resort town. He's good. <laughs> well, that's Maybe. like where he's assigned, but the general area. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a difference between. Like, we're just going to talk about the topography. Of, Be worried about Brandon because it's Brandon. But I well, mean, well, yeah, Brandon's going to like <laughs> try to vlog or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Did you end up having a lesson with that man? No, he at the time wasn't ready for that. He was too upset, concerned about you know, being sued and, and so forth. But uh, we did, the next missionaries that came into the area, relay the circumstances so they could check back with the, the individual so that he would maybe have a chance. Did he, do you? I don't know how it went. No. Interesting. But the dogs felt the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> did they just like, they were just like latched onto you or? They were totally latched on one on each leg. And like I said, you could see their jaws grinding and they were growling and doing the best they could to tear into me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that sounds like a fun experience. <laughs> Definitely memorable. Um, quick side top. So we see that your favorite color is green. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Is there a story or is that just because like you like the woods? No, I mean, I'm going to say it's going to sound horrible. 
my my wife has beautiful green eyes. My favorite. There you go. It's nothing horrible about yeah, that. That's so beautiful. It's going to sound, people are going to be like, ah, whatever. But that's what it is. That's that's the reason behind it. Oh, no. Everyone's like, oh, look at him. He's so cute. Just You're just so, yeah, very tender. <laughs> um, Side question. Do you, do you like, do you like national parks? I do. Wait, have you guys been to many national parks? Um, Not that many. No, not as many as you. I feel like I've been to quite a few. I definitely want to go to more. My grandma this week is up in Washington, hitting all the national parks there. So well, there's I'm like jealous of that. There's like is she going to Olympic? Two there. There's or? Olympic, and then there's well, the North Cas. Oh no, there's three North Cascades and Mount uh, Mount Rainier. Yeah, I've been I've been to a few. I really want to hit more though. Mount Rainier is crazy. My dad was like, my dad went hiking in it, and like there's like big like huge loops that you can do and. Have you have you done Mount Rainier? I have not. I've done uh, the North Sister. Uh, the uh, what's North Sister like? I'm I'm curious because I always see it. I've I've only done South and and Middle, oh. but North. Uh, t- it's it's supposed to be a technical climb. You really should rope up uh, when you're traversing. There's a spot you traverse across that's literally thousands of foot feet of a drop, and you're going across a, a snowfield. And it's a pretty steep angle, so you want to rope up when you go across it. So when my friend and I did that, we would dig the, the little snow seats, put the piton down, hook into it, belay across. Then he would belay me across, and then you shoot up the to finish it off. Do you do a, a lot of mountain climbing? Used to. Haven't done much in the last several years. Would you ever go with, like, Gary Blair? Uh, depends on what he was doing. I don't know. Wait, like, did you guys ever, like, go out together? Do you oh, no. No, we didn't. No, I, was, I had my own friends that we, we used to go mountain climbing. Have you have you ever been like, so this is you're now a youth leader. You're now one of the, you're the fifth ward young men's. Have you been young men's before? I have, yeah. So did like did you guys do a bunch of like mountain campouts then? We or? did campouts and stuff. We never did any mountains or anything like that. No. No. Any questions? Well, I think. Do you want to just like start talking with us and just like we can start talking and like get to know each other more? And I had I had a few other questions. Oh, just do? like yeah, so I'm just going back to your military service days. Like, um, you know, you mentioned uh, your sniper training is is something that you're most proud of. I just that kind of thing is always interesting to me because when you're looking back in your life, you know, there's a few things that stand out as really like accomplishments that you're proud of that took a lot of work. I'm just curious what made that one stand out and, and kind of maybe flesh that out for us a bit. Well, I mean, it's probably not the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, there's family things and so forth and uh, that are more important by far. But in terms of uh, work, it uh, it's something that I've done all my life. And not only when I was in the army, but when I went to state police and was on SWAT for uh, 18 or 19 years, then that's what I did there. And it was a full-time gig. And so you're using that skill that you kind of started out as a young kid shooting out in the woods and then going through professional training and then continue training and then nonstop training for years and years. And you're building up skills to be used in a very few moments. And it has to be done in a situation where you have to control the what you're doing. You have to assess correctly. 
you and in some cases you have to thread the needle and make a shot when somebody's holding somebody hostage and this is this it becomes a life or death circumstance and it becomes a high probability that if you make a mistake an innocent person is going to die so you go through all this training for a moment and that's kind of the pinnacle of it yeah This is crazy stuff. Were you up in Portland a lot during <laughs> like 2020? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I was up there numerous uh, weeks and uh, just uh, in support of, of riot squads. So we had SWAT elements that uh, were out doing things and providing an overwatch so that if a lethal pr uh, threat presented itself, towards the riot teams, we would address that lethal threat. So crazy. It was, I just, it, it was just so... I don't know how I feel about it. It was a lot of... I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird thing to talk about because it's like a bunch of people rioting, which is not the right answer, but there's a bunch of people who have problems and grievances, but they're also rioting. So... I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of violence. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of uh, people really don't know the extent of the violence towards the police that were there. I mean, it was it, every time I was there, I had uh, large bricks thrown at me. I had uh, Molotov cocktails thrown at us. Uh, we had people with uh, wrist rockets shooting steel balls at us. Um, people would throw. Uh, feces and bottles of urine and just all kinds of things and then spew all, all kinds of foul vitriol at you regarding your family. So on our end is all we could do was try to introduce some gas or on occasion we would shoot them with a pepper ball or uh, if I was really not there to endure that, I was there for um, if there's a lethal threat, if somebody yeah. were to do, then I go deal with that. And we have a riot team that deals with those other things. Mm -hmm. But in large, those, what was really going on and how the police were being treated um, was not well uh, talked about in the media. Yeah, it always, it always took a side. Right. To be frank, yeah. It's just yeah. a lot of what media is now. It was referred to, as I recall, as mostly peaceful, which when you're trying to block a group of police officers inside the precinct and light it on fire. I don't think that's mostly peaceful. Do you have any, um, any good stories for us? <laughs> any some interesting, I don't know if it has service or whatever. Well, I mean, it depends on what you want to focus on. I spent five years as a narcotics detective. Some of that I did some undercover work. Um, and that was interesting. That sounds kind of interesting. Do you want to start there? I mean, sure. I was going to say, I deal on the other side of that once people are hooked on narcotics and helping them, you know? Yeah. So I'm always curious of that side of, of the law enforcement. and. Yeah. Well, I'll have to say that the level of human suffering uh, because of narcotics is far more vast than people recognize. Can we can we do a quick definition for narcotics for those of us me that don't know a good definition for it? Well, nowadays it's, <laughs> it's you know they've decriminalized so much of it, but I'm talking heroin, um, methamphetamine, cocaine, um, 
any of the harder type drugs. Like, it's like the ones that like accelerants or like they each have their own flavor, but uh, hallucinogens. There's hallucinogens. There's there's all kinds of different things, and even the modern day marijuana is really so much more toxic than the old stuff. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, the THC was two or three percent. Now it's thirty percent. So narcotics is just like a big umbrella term. For Correct. Yeah, you drugs. can you can use it either way. Sometimes you can use it in reference just to opioids, which are yeah. painkillers, or street drugs like heroin, or it can be an umbrella term, which is how it's usually used. Any illicit drug. Yep. Yeah. All right. So I sorry I cut you off. You were saying no, no. It, I mean, I think you were just asking what what was significant about it or what the stories what the oh, yeah. stories might be. Well, because I I mean I look. I didn't know what narcotics meant specifically because whenever I think of narcotics, I mean, think of like hallucinogens specifically, but that's good to know. That is an umbrella term. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's stories that are funny to me, but they can be a little dark because that's sometimes when people are in that environment, that's how they deal with things they see that are not so pleasant is they make jokes about them or they find the humor in them. And which I would say is a good antidote for life in general, because all of us go through times and periods in our life that are difficult or that uh, uh, feel overwhelming. And if we can learn to see the light side of things and laugh, you'll be able to endure it better. Yeah. I mean, I'm good with it. I don't know. What do you think, Jay? No, I just want to, I want to know a little bit more of, uh, we we heard about your wife's eyes. That's about it. But I I need to know like the Dave Glass love at first sight meeting. Like wait, how wait, did wait, that we're, happen? We're, we're switching oh, subjects. Yeah. Oh, we'll switch up yeah. the subjects. That's actually an interesting story, and and it's it sounds ridiculous to be honest. I mean, uh, my wife and I both worked at Sacred Heart Hospital. We were going to college. Um, we had seen each other in a class uh, at at uh, Lane Lane Community College where we both started, and then I went to the U of O. Um, and I needed to take a, uh, a a class that was maybe a little bit more relaxed because I was doing business major stuff. So I took an art history class, and I heard that's all where the all the you know attractive women were. <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> yeah, like walking yeah. through, just like no. surveying. I mean, I you know, and when that's we kind of saw each other there, and we saw each other at the hospital on occasion where we both worked. And then thing where you were just like. Oh, and you like both pointed. Hey, like, hey yeah. I know you. Yeah, I know you're from class, right? So I I found out later that she'd been tried. She would come up and talk to me on occasion, and and you have to understand this about guys. Most of us are really dense, and she would talk to me, and it would just go over my head, you know, like oh yeah, okay. And here I am, return missionary, you know. One day after class, she just came up. She goes, "Hey, Dave, you want to go get some coffee?" Well, no, I I don't drink coffee. I'm a good Mormon boy, right? Yeah. I don't want coffee. Well, she wasn't a member of the church, but in fact, I could have had milk, water, soda, any other thing. She just wanted me to go sit with her and have something to drink. <laughs> and I was too dense to pick that up. She did. What, you didn't catch on to it even oh, then? No. no. Oh, my no. God. When I did know. you catch on? Oh, it, well, truthfully, <laughs> I, I never did. <laughs> and it was two years. It was two years of me not catching on. Two years? On. Did she propose? No, she did not. Okay. But <laughs> th this is going to sound silly, but it's a completely true story. I was walking through the lobby of Sacred Heart working. She was standing over by the gift shop. And she said at that point she'd given up. 
She's like, hey, he doesn't like me. It's been two years. I've been trying to get him to go out with me. And it was, I had an epiphany. It was it, it in all seriousness. It was this, I heard this voice and it said, it was like a chastising voice. David, you're supposed to ask her out. And it was so powerful that I immediately said, okay, I have to go ask her out. And I went right over and asked her out. And then it was the day of our first date, the missionaries showed up at her house. No. Yeah. Un oh my gosh. No, no plan on my part. Right there. That's insane. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and she knows you're a member of the church at that point. She does. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we were married in less than, uh, I hate to say it. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Two, two years of non-dating, no. dating. Right. Within two months, we were married. That's all right. That's wow. that's an eternity in BYU terms. Yeah. That's, that's, that's but we both knew. Why did we you wait knew. those extra well, five she's weeks? Been trying to get you for so long, and then you're just like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There, we both had an epiphany. We both had a spiritual confirmation, and then it's like, let's do it. Was it like a slap to the face prompting? Like, what oh, are yeah. you doing? It was. It was a chastisement. <laughs> like you are so dumb. I can't believe I made you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what was it like for her uh learning about the church and kind of it sounds like the missionaries were there once you guys started dating yeah i mean uh i think she joined the church a few months later if i recall correctly but uh her all of her family were catholic so they were really against it and then we did her family history and found out that uh well in fact the majority of her family were founding members of the church first bishop of nauvoo um, they were uh, part of the uh, Mormon Brigade. They were uh, in at Hans Mill. They were in all these different no, things. No, really? Hans yeah. Mill's not a great place well, to be. So, yeah. so have you gotten back to some of these historical sites like Nauvoo and stuff like that? Or? We haven't, um, but uh, we've got tons of family history on her side, and uh, the uh, uh, there's tons of stories in church history. So we presented that to her family. It's like, well, actually, historically, you're all members of the church and you're the ones that apostated this is meant to be you guys are you guys are off track yeah right so it was funny have any of them in, investigated the church at all since then or no i think the only investigation they would want to do would be for something illegal <laughs> oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're not against it right they just don't want anything to do with it they're not active in their religion so wait did you did you think she was like cute before or did you just like yeah i always thought she was attractive but uh she had the beautiful green eyes come on right. I'm did we notice these green <laughs> eyes before or after the slap to the face probably after yeah i was pretty focused on just what i was doing okay lexi if you want to find a, a boy you just gotta ask him to copy and then tell have him tell you why would i ask him <laughs> no 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 no, no, no. We're <laughs> he's got to tell you no and you're like mm. and then i have to wait two years i think the moral of the story is recognize that some guys are not so bright low-key though is he right <laughs> okay. are we are we all pretty dense i think i think yeah, think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't weigh very much so i can't be that dense <laughs> i know i'm just going for like height to weight ratio i'm not dense I don't know. What, so you're mostly okay. fat? Is that what you're saying? Or What? No. I'm just saying that would be the less dense. I'm yeah. saying I weigh nothing. Wait, wait. No, what did you weigh? What did you think? I'm just saying that muscle and bone are more dense, so I don't know. So you're just saying you have no muscle or bone? No. I just got... I have a high metabolism. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> next Moving subject. On. Um, do we... Do we... Because okay, I'm kind of interested in those stories, but like... Do we want to like take it there or 
Well, I can tell you, uh, uh, if you want a, a story, I can tell you stuff that's not horrible. But, um, well, I think people will find it super interesting, no matter what yeah. you tell. As long well, as I mean, uh, I'll, I'll share a story with, um, we quite often as a, a SWAT team would, would uh, go out in the woods and uh, take down large drug cartel growing operations. And uh, this used to be a much bigger thing in the wooded areas. And since marijuana has been legalized, now they just take it all indoors and it's actually, there's more of it. But um, it would be common for a hiker to stumble across a large marijuana grow. And then we would take a small team out to perform a reconnaissance. We would find out, and these are in remote areas, they're in ravines, they're in national forest. Uh, there's a lot of hiking involved and sneaking in. So we would sneak in, uh, find out where these grows were, identify um tents where they might be working, uh, identify where their kitchens are. Uh, these are large operations. They would have um, posts where guys would be performing an overwatch. Could be up on a hillside, could be in trees. So we would mark all this, put it on GPSs, go back, uh, create a PowerPoint, and then bring our, our SWAT team in to go assault these areas. Well, these are like little... Well, from what I know, these are like little war zones. Like they like booby trap everything. Uh, there are there's some booby traps. There's people. There's always guns. There's uh, so you're generally going in at night using night vision. Uh, you have a, a briefing and you put together different teams. The people that had been on the recon would go and be a team leader for each group. Uh, and we get we did this a lot, so it became uh, routine. And guys were very good at it, sneaking in the woods, night vision getting to certain spots where we were at a certain time, getting ready to launch and <clears throat> go through the camps and secure people. So that would be, or take out the uh, guard posts where the guys were. So you have all these different things, elements of guys sneaking into position and then everybody confirming we're in position and then saw moving at one. The show goes off. Right. So this was a very common thing for us. And we did a lot of them, uh, Tens of thousands of plants, 40, 50,000 plants, 60,000 plants in, a, in a, a growing operation, some of them 12, 15 feet high. So you're walking through marijuana fields that are that high. But these are people that are brought in by the cartel that will defend them. And there you know, would on occasion be a shootout or something like that. The story I'm bringing up is not a shootout. It's more of an interesting um, friend of mine, Nick, who's also a member of the church we were probing through the camp that looked empty while uh, the rest of our team was flanking positions, kind of sweeping through the, uh, the grow area. And we get up to a platform that's about five feet in the air and there's kitchen area underneath it. And we both stop or watch walking through Madrone leaves. And I don't know if you're familiar with those, but in the summer, it's like walking on cornflakes, really crunchy and loud. So you have to step and sweep your foot back and forth before you put the pressure down on each step. So it's very slow, methodical movement so that you don't alert anybody that might be in there. In this case, we walked right up on two guys sleeping on the platform. They never woke up. Um, and we saw two sets of hair sticking out of the sleeping bags. And we're like, crap, we, there's guys here. We thought it was empty. And then we looked and we saw one guy at 8K47 sitting next to him. Another guy had a shotgun sitting next to him. Nick and I look at each other. Normally, when you take down two guys like that, you want another two guys with you. You want four guys minimum, two guys to hold cover on the targets, one guy to yank the guy out of the bag on each side. 
there's just the two of us. We couldn't get on the radio because we're on top of these guys. We couldn't back out because we're walking on cornflakes. So Nick covered me. I reached up right by the guy sleeping, grabbed his AK-47, and then just uh, slowly put it down out of his reach. And then I reached over, grabbed the shotgun, did the same thing. And we couldn't get a hold of anybody on the radio, so we're like, all right, we're going to have to challenge these guys and grab them. As soon as we challenge them, the fight's on. They jump up. Huge. We're all camouflaged up. We've got you know half ghillie suits on. We've got all the typical gear you would see. So I'm sure it was scary for them. But we announced ourselves as police. One jumps off to the right. One goes to the left. Nick and I split. We're running these guys down. And we know we're not going to catch them unless we do it really quick because we're carrying 30 pounds of gear and they're not carrying anything. So I go chasing the one guy down, got an M14 with me. Um, and uh, at that point, I drop the rifle, tackle him, take him down. I can't see Nick anywhere. I don't know if anybody else is around me. So I start fighting with this guy. Uh, hit him a few times. He goes unconscious. I go to cuff him up and then uh, he wakes up, struggles again. Um, trying to, you know, uh, grab my gun. I hit him a few more times. He gets knocked out, comes back the second time. And then he rolls over on his stomach to get away. And this is where all the training my brother given me in the years of martial arts came in. Um, he gave me a perfect position for a rear naked choke. I reached around, got him in a rear naked choke, pulled him back over, grapevined him out and choked him out in just a few seconds. And then the fight was over. He was done. Cuffed him up and that was it. That's really cool, actually. Do you okay? So, in these operations, do you just find like satisfaction in like a job well executed? There's a lot of points of satisfaction, and there's points that aren't so satisfying, and n none of them are ever perfect. But uh, we do pretty well. And it, when you have a group of guys um, working as a team, and everybody has their part, everybody's trained for years in tasks and subtasks. And then when they come together as a unit and perform all those tasks well and achieve the objective, very satisfying. That was a really cool story. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, I'm kind of wondering too, just <clears throat> you mentioned martial arts training. Like, is there any specific discipline you, you learned or... Uh, I've done a bunch of different ones. I started out in Gojuru, which is an Okinawan style that does, uh, you know, strikes, kicks, ground fighting judo <clears throat> it was pretty complete and covered kind of all the fighting ranges but then i studied muay thai and jujitsu and uh I did mma for a while um so all those things are good anything you learn is good it teaches you how to control your body and how to be better at something so i recommend any of those boxing anything do you still practice at all i do like that? yeah mm -hmm. and i practiced for since i was probably 16 i've been doing stuff but uh and most of the guys that i worked with were doing stuff like that would you be available for lessons? Maybe. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always stuff to teach. It's, it's good to teach. It it's uh, it helps to refresh memory. And uh, there's, yeah. Okay. I'll have my friend get in contact with you. Yeah. After we record. Um. <laughs> so I, our goal is like, as a podcast, we, we want to try to record for like an hour. This is really professional to discuss how we want to run the podcast <laughs> all while we're recording the podcast. But we've been recording for about 45 minutes, which I think is a good length. 
but I kind of want to keep going. We can edit some stuff out. We'll we'll have to edit this one harder than most, I think. I kind of like the live take. <laughs> I think there's a lot of just like beauty to a one take rehearsal. Just post this as is. Honestly. I don't know. So we have, we're going to try and go to nine. Okay. Do you want to share another story? Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of stories, and I try not to divulge too much. There's some, I, there's a lot of them I, mean, I can't yeah. talk about. Um, but I, I think I can share one that's, you know, it's already been to trial and everything's done, and kind of the pinnacle and the most difficult operation that uh, any team can do is a hostage rescue. Oh yeah. And the reason that is is because uh, there's so many things that could go wrong. And you already have a person that's intent on killing one or more people. And oftentimes they've prepared. And depending on the location, if it's in a house, it's difficult because you can't see things. If it's in a vehicle, you have a little bit better view. It's not as difficult. But each location has its problem. And uh, we've had a number of hostage rescues over the years. And it's actually become more frequent in the last few years. And I would argue because society's become uh, more frustrated and less loving and, and there's all kinds of issues people are having that create these things and as it says the love of man is waxing cold and uh, we had a um, so our, our team is scattered throughout the state and when we get a call we go anywhere in the state so we used to fly we used to you know however we could get there we have armor we have all the tools would need to perform any type of a task um, but most, mostly we drive and so you're <clears throat> sometimes driving for hours and then you're dealing with a tense situation for hours or days and then you drive home so you don't you know, have a 30-hour work day that's yeah. pretty pretty common there's just like a bunch of like like armor and like like resources just scattered around the state right depots there there is and and it's that way for a reason so that you have armor which is slow to get places staged in different locations to make it so you can go use that if you get called to that region yeah, so yeah it happened anywhere exactly so uh a individual i'm not i'm not going to give too much detail um but an individual had um taken two women hostage in a house and uh one had escaped during the night and notified the police of what was going on and uh we responded to assist uh, a smaller team, a local team, that uh, uh, recognized that in a hostage situation, you want as many people you can get there as possible because there's so many tasks and subtasks that you can easily overwhelm a team. And typically, we have 40 people on our team. We have uh, um, 10 negotiators, four medics, three command staff. You're going to have uh, um, 12 or 13 snipers and 12 or 13 assaulters or entry members. And each have tasks and, and uh, specialties that they perform. And then they cross-train in all these other specialties. So everybody can pick up many different uh, hats when you're in a situation like that and just switch from one thing to another. Yeah. What do they have you cross-train in? Uh, originally, I was a sniper. And then I did uh, tracking. And, um, and uh, you do surveillance. And then uh, I went to explosive breaching school. Uh, and then you, know, you go to a basic SWAT school. And then uh, 
I went to command staff schools, and I, I've been to all kinds of different schools. Uh, and then I was, uh, we have a uh, repelling team that's used for vertical rescues or um, vertical assault. So you, you practice repelling, you practice um, learning how to capture ropes and using uh, different techniques in order to uh, leverage uh, pulleys and so forth to bring people up or down. You learn how to ascend and descend ropes, pass knots, etc. All these different things. So you learn all these different skills over the years, and then you cross train, right? So uh, I was the team sergeant for the entry team. So my job would be to plan and to execute, and then to lead during execution, and then uh, to interface with the assault team. And then kind of be a liaison and talk with the command staff and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is our plan. This is what we're, you know, things change. And I would be that guy to help formulate the plan and then help execute it. And then you're like the through guy from the command staff who would make the decisions. Right. There's a lieutenant above me. And then I'm the team sergeant that's the next guy. And in most cases, um, and there's plenty of guys on the team that are very experienced. And it's never just me. It's all of these experienced guys that know what they're doing. Yeah. But yeah, uh, to some point, I'm the one making the final decision on that. But uh, in any case, in this specific incident, just to cut it short, um, we're going down to take over the scene from this other team because we have additional tools that they don't have that allow us explosive breaching and things like that to more successfully deal with the circumstance. Um, so I'm, I get there, um, I'm organizing, I'm setting everything up. I'm talking to different guys. We're right near the residence behind a large fence. It's about 30 yards to the front door. So you've got all these contingencies that you're doing as guys come in, you're placing them because they're coming from all over the state. So as they're, you're, you're increasing your plan, you're making it better. And as new guys come in with new skills, you're setting them up somewhere during that process. Uh, one of these snipers from the team we were going there to relieve for whatever reason takes a shot at the bad guy, but he misses. So our contingency is that anytime there's a shot fired, whether it's from us or from the bad guy, we have to assault the house, whether we're ready or not, because you don't know this guy's on edge and he's, he may, he may kill the hostage Yeah. or that may have been him shooting it. Sometimes it's hard to differentiate, but now you have to move. <clears throat> now we have to go. And we and you have contingency plans already in place, and you improve them as resources arrive. So you always have a plan right away. Hasty team, ready to go. So we assault. Um, I go to the front door. Another team goes to the side door. As we're running up to the <clears throat> to the large picture window on the front of the house, uh, two guys breach the front door with a key. It's a large metal two-handed um, piece of steel that's weighted. That's meant to smash through doors. Like a battering ram. Mm -hmm. Exactly. As they breach the door, uh, the bad guy who's on the inside runs from my left to my right. And as he does that, he takes his handgun and points it directly at me. And I'm getting ready to shoot. But it's such a fast run that he's in and out of the sweep of the doorway in just a second. And then off to the left, I see the woman um, tied to a chair. So he's running inside the house. I'm outside the house. Uh, the rest of the team is kind of echelon right to, you know, off my right shoulder. And as he comes across the pitcher window, I take my shot. And I fire six rounds. My buddy fires around. 
and he goes down and there's some gunfire there and uh that ultimately we make entry the guy's dead and we clear the house provide medical aid to the uh uh, the hostage and ultimately what he had done was uh he had when the shot by the sniper went off and missed he went over and executed the hostage and then that's what we're hearing as we're running up there i heard a pop a couple of times but you're trying to process all this information plus a guy running plus you've just ran 30 yards with 30 pounds of gear on and you're going to shoot the guy as he's running full speed through the glass and hit him without hitting your other team that's breaching the other side of the house. Yeah. So there's all these contingencies you have in your mind. There's all these things you're seeing, controlling your weapon, where people are at, how long I can shoot before I have to stop. All these things you're processing in, in seconds. And you said somebody at one point had a gun pointed at you. The suspect did. When something like that happens, <clears throat> are, are you like, thinking or processing there's a gun pointed at me or is it really just training kicks in and we're going through the motions or i mean we do hot we do the training all the time and you you train to uh to become kind of immune to some degree to that kind of stuff it, there's always adrenaline and there's things and there's some days where you don't process as well as others you're tired whatever the case it's it's that way for everybody but there's other days when you're on and it's just you see it you're aggressive because we train guys to be aggressive. We train to go after you, you, you're wearing body armor, you're wearing a helmet and yeah, you could get shot, but that's what you're there for is to go and deal with the threat. And we train that into the guys to be aggressive and not to, uh, shy away from that stuff. And in fact, if we see guys that are that way, they're not on the team. What do you, what leads people to do that type of stuff? Like in a hostage situation, it or varies in, for each individual. I mean, uh, some people in this case, there's some domestic things going on. The girl that escaped was his girlfriend, the, the female that he shot was the landlord. So there's some issues there, but it, the, the reasons are as varied as, as the, the incidents. Was a lot of like, like <clears throat> mental instability on his part or. Oftentimes I don't end up knowing the reason Our negotiators sometimes will flesh that out if we have time. And that's what we always try to do is, is peacefully resolve something. Uh, with the least use of force. So our negotiators do a great job and they often resolve it for us. And so they have a number of negotiators gathering information, trying to learn about the guy, trying to find ways to resolve the problem. And oftentimes I will have an earpiece in listening to what they're talking about and they'll provide me information so I have a better idea of, of the mindset. You can like gauge their reactions and what's going to happen. Yeah, because the in my particular position, I would be the one making the call on the assault. Yeah. So I would be listening and that may come from the command post or it may come from me hearing, Hey, this guy's going to kill this person or something's happening right now. We have to go and I have to be ready to make that call. Yeah. That's, that's kind of heavy stuff. How do you, um, how do you deal with that? Just like knowing the world isn't so sunshiny and you have to witness a lot of that. It's different for everybody, but I'll, I'll have to say that, um, uh, being a member of the church, listening to the spirit, always being worthy of the spirit are the things that get you through all those things. Yeah. And those, um, I've never felt, uh, you feel pressure of course, 
and you feel uh, uh, all the things people feel. But when you when you are doing what you're supposed to be doing to the best of your ability, and we're not perfect, um, the spirit makes things easier, and you're more able to endure it. And uh, you see these things, and you see the horrible things people do to people. And I've been shot at numerous times, and I've been all these horrible things, and I've seen people do terrible things to each other and children and anything that you can imagine that would happen in this horrible world to innocence. Uh, I've seen a lot of that. And uh, it, the spirit and being active in the church and, uh, and remembering the plan of salvation has always made those things more able to be endured. So I think what I'm trying to get at is really in like my mind there's like that dilemma of like like the like thou shalt not kill but obviously what i'm seeing now is that i feel like you have reason in those times like you might have to because the wickedness and like evilness that happens with other people so like do you feel like when you're in those situations like the spirit's like this is what i need to be doing i've always felt very calm in those positions. I don't know why that is. I mean, it, some of my friends are the same way um, that, I, that I've worked with and that aren't members of the church. It's the same. We talk, right? You got to talk to each other about this stuff. And it's the same um, because of the training, mostly. But also, most of those guys have uh, a, a moral compass and an understanding of we've done everything we can not to do this. We've given you opportunity to surrender. We've negotiated. We've done all these things. In a perfect world, you've done all, gone through all these steps to get a peaceful resolution, and we have nothing left. And this is what happens. And then there's other times where it happens so quick, you have no other choice. And that's you go through the training, and you recognize when a guy is going to kill somebody or you, then the choice is pretty clear. Yeah. I've just always been like, there's like the hard line, but it's really not a hard line because I guess we have to judge it in the best way we can. Because there's like a lot of those situations that you have to go through and then protects most of the people in society from having to deal with that stuff. I think you, there's numerous examples in the Book of Mormon, Captain Moroni, um, uh, the Stripling Warriors. I mean, any number of those, those uh, people that were spiritual yet recognized that they had to do something that was hard that may cause them to take somebody's life. Like, I've always been like, when you read the story of Nephi and when he kills Laban, um, there's always been a part of me before. Like, I think... Just talking with you, with you today, it's cleared a lot of stuff up in my mind, as much as it can be. Sure. Um, because in that story, I was always like, he, but he, he killed Laban. Like, Laban was defenseless. He was told to kill, but, like, killing is bad. And But I guess there's there's that line of, like, people... Uh, it's just such a hard... It's a hard topic. Because then it's like... Do we kill people to save other people's lives, or is like, because there's obvious situations that you have to deal with a lot, but then there's like others that like will stretch on if that. It's hard to 
Oh my gosh, I hate philosophy. Well, there was that one, like, I think it's a scripture, better one man perish than, like, an entire nation dwindle in unbelief. That's right. And that's mm-hmm. what I think of when I think of, like, the Nephi and Laban story. Like, their sacrifices after you, like, made in some places to balance out, I don't know, for the greater good. And then, like, in your situation, it parallels, like, in unbelief to people doing these terrible things. Like, it's better that maybe they die to stop the suffering of these people who don't need to be suffering. It's it's always a choice of there's a, a priority of life model that we have that anytime you make a decision, you learn it and you memorize it. And, you, and then oftentimes you, you try to follow it so you know you're making the right decision. And the priority of life is innocent civilian or hostage, innocent civilian, police officer, suspect. So anytime you do something that benefits the suspect over the hostage, you're wrong. Anytime you do something that benefits you, the police officer, over an innocent victim, you're wrong. So you know how to act. The top person is the hostage or the innocent? Hostage, innocent civilians, police officer, suspect. So the hostage is above the innocent civilians? Right, because they're in... They're out of... They're in immediate need. So hostage are people like... Even if they're like not the person being taken hostage, like people in like the immediate danger. Well, an innocent civilian could be a periphery, somebody in the yeah. area, right? So like another house or right. So you kind of guide your actions based upon what those needs are, and that's how you know if you're doing the right thing. You can't prior. I can't prioritize my safety over the hostage. So I can't prioritize the suspect's safety over mine. So you gauge your responses based on that. Yeah, I'm just curious. So I'm, it's pretty clear, like just hearing your stories from your mission and from like work life and beyond, like the impact the gospels had on your life and just centering you and helping you to focus in really otherwise difficult times. Um, I'm just curious, like, do you have any kind of routine where you kind of get yourself in that mindset every day. I know for me, it's like I, I meditate every morning just to get in the mindset of when I go to work today, I'm going as a servant of God and I'm not compartmentalizing my life. You know, I just wondering if that, if there's anything you do to kind of get yourself there every day or. Yeah, there is. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's why you're doing what you're doing. That's why you're successful. We all should be having that routine. And we all know based on how work goes, sometimes you can't do it every day. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I got up every morning and I still do. Uh, I would get up around five and go exercise. And then I would, uh, you know, maybe do some studying. And and there's always prayer. And uh, uh, now that I'm retired, it's great because I can do more of everything I like to do. So, I, But I still have the routine. I still do the routine of getting up early and exercising and, and, um, and studying. And then... Uh, uh, having my prayers and then and then I have other things I study now so yeah all right so before we wrap up I just want to end it on a like a more fun lighthearted note um, uh, so do you like Beyonce uh, no, no. I, I don't know her so I can't say I don't know like, like her music <laughs> uh, you know I, that's not my genre what are, what is in your playlist right now 
Oh boy, uh, it's pretty eclectic. I mean, I've got everything from ooh, good word. Uh, I eclectic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I couldn't spell it, but uh, I've got. I'm every- trying to think. Is it two C's or <laughs> no? <laughs> Wait, is it? I've got everything from classical music to some heavier hard rock stuff, and I played in a band for a few years, and so we kind of did all that stuff. What did you play in a band? Yeah. Guitar. Guitar. Yeah. Do you shred or you like? No, it was decent. more. It was classic rock, like everything from Eagles to Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and. So. Can you play the solo of Stairway to Heaven? Negative. <laughs> can you play the solo? Can you play guitar? Wait, I, I remember. Like I just remember guitar. that scene from Wayne's World. I know. So no. Uh, no stairway. No stairway to heaven zone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I play guitar. I'm probably worse than Dave, though. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been playing yeah. much, but yeah. uh, it was fun when I played. But Lexi, uh, do you play guitar? No, I do not play guitar. Sorry. What did, what We're going to do our multiple conversation mm-hmm. thing. Let's do that mm-hmm. right now. Let's test that really quick. Why? Lexi, do you play guitar? Go ahead. I do not play guitar. I don't play wait, any instruments. The... Guys, wait, you got to talk I'm, to each other. I'm editing this part out. No. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> oh, one last question. So, do you ever turn on the radio and just, like, listen to whatever songs are on there? Or do you... Are you pretty? Yeah, I, I do. Music? Yeah, I'll listen to uh, uh, different radio channels, but uh, more like um, there's an app I use that has you can kind of adjust the flavor of the music you're listening to. I can't remember yeah. what it's called. Do you um? So have you heard the Mariah Carey's uh, "All I Want for Christmas Is You"? I have heard that song. What are, What are your thoughts on it? Hmm. She's got a really good vocal range. Yes, she's an incredible vocal range. Incredible range. You yeah. should hear it mashed up with Space Jam. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? You haven't heard that mashup? All I want for Christmas is Space Jam. No, no. Oh, you should listen to it after you're done. <laughs> um, I play it every Christmas for Camille, and it fools her every time. No. Oh. Well, thanks for coming on our podcast. We'll add today. that in oh. later. There'll <laughs> <laughs> be our outro music. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on to our podcast, The Connection. That is the name we have chosen. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dave. Like that was really cool hearing your stories. And just like for me, I feel uplifted just um the spiritual experiences you had. I really liked the range of topics we covered. We had we had funny, we had serious, we had super interesting. All of it was really interesting. That was good to be here. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming. Um do you guys have anything you want to add? What if we set up a Patreon? Oh, like go to our Patreon and Lexi, don't be so rude. I'm not. I I didn't even say anything. Lexi's just like if we She's fundraise, like, oh, I'm gonna be stuck with the being there, the one who does it. There was an eye roll. And, yeah, I know. Yeah. See, I, I heard. <laughs> She's like upset with me. She's like no, he's I'm being not, all like Brandon setting up a upset. Patreon. You're not as dense as you thought. You I'm were. just yeah. letting you guys <laughs> do whatever you dense. want with this podcast. I just show up. No, you're a co-host, Lexi. Well, yeah, exactly. I just show up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's a great place to end this podcast. (laughs) Thank you again for coming. It was great to have you. Thank you. Um, You should come back and listen to it and just like yeah, that'd be great. Give us some not viewership but listenership. Um, Where do we where do we plan on posting this? We're gonna we're gonna post it. So I have to set us up on a website. We'll we'll give a link and. Probably just send it to all the words, and can then we uh, do Spotify because we can. We so I, I can I can send it over to Spotify, and I think I can do any of the carriers. Do you want to oh, work on that afterwards? And yeah, we'll work on that. All right, cool. Well, that, 
Thank you. And that's all. Hi. So our uh, our recording cut out right here. Um, so I'm just gonna wrap up and say, thank you so much for listening. Uh, do you feel the same way, Jason? Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. Um, thank you guys so much. Uh, we couldn't do this without you guys. So, um, please tell us if you like this and listen more if you do. <laughs> um, uh, see ya. This episode of the Connection Podcast. We're on most podcast carriers, so please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen, and the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care.